0: Hey everyone. Overnight, the Fulton County District Attorney indicted Donald Trump and 18 of his supporters, accusing them of trying to overturn the results of the 2020 election. These charges have been long awaited, but they did not become public until close to midnight. We're going to dig into all of it in our episode tomorrow. Till then, head on over to slate.com for the latest and on with the show. Last Friday, Attorney General Merrick Garland held a surprise press conference. Good afternoon. I'm here today to
1: announce the appointment of David Weiss as a special counsel. He was there
0: to talk about appointing a special counsel to investigate Hunter Biden, though the AG used his full name.
1: Robert Hunter Biden.
0: The president's son has been fending off criminal charges for five years. That investigation remains ongoing. This latest announcement, it raises this question. How many more years is Hunter Biden going to keep fighting? I didn't know this was coming. Did you?
1: No, I did not, honestly.
0: Ankush Kodori is a former federal prosecutor himself. He watched all this play out with interest and a little confusion.
1: I mean, it definitely was a possibility, but I did not think it was sort of the likeliest outcome.
0: The weird thing about the appointment of this special counsel—his name is David Weiss—is that he was supposed to be wrapping up his investigation into Hunter Biden. Last month, in a Delaware courtroom, his team attempted to reach a plea agreement with the president's son. Biden wasn't pleading guilty to very expansive charges. There was a tax evasion charge, a gun charge. But that deal, it got put on hold. And now that the guy prosecuting him has been elevated to a special counsel—
1: I think theoretically anything could be charged. It is a legitimately confusing situation, and there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding it.
0: If you were Hunter Biden right now, how would you be feeling?
1: I'd be very anxious and uh, probably a little angry about how this is all unfolded. You know, he thought he had a plea deal about a couple months ago or whenever it was initially announced that would wrap up this years-long criminal investigation, and it seems to have just totally fallen apart.
0: Today on the show, the never-ending trials and tribulations of Hunter Biden. And why one prosecutor just will not quit. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. The future of America is in your hands. This is
1: not a movie trailer, and it's not a political ad, but it is a call to action. I'm Mila Atmos, and I'm passionate about unlocking the power of everyday citizens. On our podcast, Future Hindsight, we take big ideas about civic life and democracy and turn them into action items for you and me. Every Thursday, we talk to bold activists and civic innovators to help you understand your power and your power to change the status quo. Find us at futurehindsight.com or wherever you listen
0: to podcasts. So let's rewind the clock about three weeks back to when Hunter Biden had every reason to think that his legal nightmare was coming to an end. David Weiss, the U.S. attorney in Delaware who has just taken on this new role as special counsel, had convinced Biden to plead guilty. It was a complicated arrangement. There was a guilty plea for tax evasion charges. Biden allegedly avoided paying $100,000 to the IRS in 2017 and 2018. There was also something called a diversion agreement for possessing a gun while using drugs. But at the last minute, the judge in this case asked some very pointed questions about how all this was going to work.
1: The gun charge was not filed in court. He was going to go to a pretrial diversion program for drug addicts for a couple of years. If he successfully completed that program, then the charge would never be brought. And that, that second agreement contained an immunity provision, which is not uncommon in plea agreements, but it happened to be in the diversion agreement rather than the plea agreement in this instance, and that caught the judge's eye. Um, The reason it caught the judge's eye is because the way that the parties structured the, the deal, the plea agreement was subject to the approval of the judge. The diversion agreement, the way they structured it was not. And so she kind of asked, well, why is this immunity provision stuck in here rather than in the document where I clearly have some sort of authority to weigh in? Like it kind of I think she kind of felt like they were maybe trying to pull one over her candidly.
0: Well, yeah, it's like they're giving him a big gift, but they're putting it in such a way that she has no control or say over it.
1: Well, they're giving him a gift. I'm not even sure I would characterize it as a big gift because it's it's common for uh, defendants to get immunity for certain for certain actions as part of a plea deal because they need some certainty that the government isn't just going to keep charging them right after they plead guilty. So an immunity provision itself is not that unusual. Um, It's actually common. But the judge bristled at kind of where it was. And, and I think that's a, that was a fair question. Yeah. And then the second thing that caused her some concern, and I have less sympathy on this front, was the purported breadth of the immunity provision, which immunized Biden for any crimes related to the underlying allegations that were an issue in both of these documents, right? Concerning the willful uh, failure to pay taxes and then the gun possession. And she asked, well, She wanted to sort of press down on that a little bit. She said, "Okay, how much are you really immunizing him for? Do you have an ongoing investigation? What about if there were crimes that could be chargeable under the Foreign Agents Registration Act? She asked a bunch of questions and the prosecutors basically said, investigation is still ongoing. We could theoretically charge him with more. Hunter Biden said, lawyer said, no, no, no. What are you talking about? Like, this is supposed to be the whole thing. We're supposed to be done here. And the judge says, "Okay, you guys clearly have some work to do. I have some questions that I've raised that I'd like you to address in briefs.
0: Okay, so Hunter Biden's plea deal falls through. It was interesting to me, looking back, to realize that the plea deal had been announced in June, like June 20th. And in the weeks after that announcement, Congress seemed to ramp up its public investigation of Hunter Biden. Can you just walk me through what politicians have been doing just as... This guy, David Weiss, the U.S. attorney in Delaware, seemed to be wrapping up his work. Like in mid-July, there was an all-day hearing featuring some IRS whistleblowers. What were they saying?
1: Yeah, so there's a couple of these IRS whistleblowers who at one point worked on the investigation and were working with David Weiss's team who have told Congress that they think that the case was handled inappropriately that Hunter Biden was basically preferentially treated, that there were a whole bunch of investigative steps that should have been taken, that weren't taken, that there were charges that should have been brought that weren't brought against him. And, you know, House GOP members have really dug in on that. They've been, you know, those folks have testified. So all of this has been part of a process that has gone on all year, but as you pointed out, has accelerated in recent months. The broader point, though, which you've you've correctly noted, is that, you know, there's been months of sort of this parallel investigation or inquiry ongoing in Congress. Part of what is going on, in my estimation, is they are trying to like kind of put it on par with the Trump prosecutions uh, at this point and to, you know, bolster this narrative that The government's being weaponized or two-tiered system of justice in which Republicans are mistreated and Democrats are treated more favorably and that sort of thing. So it's all been wrapped up in this sort of broader effort to create this narrative that I regard as quite disingenuous on the part of Republicans.
0: Well, and you can see it in just how the hearings play out. Like if you focus on that IRS hearing, right, you have these guys and they're expressing real concerns about like we investigated this. We thought there was more cause for alarm. We think it should have been investigated more and maybe prosecuted.
1: It appeared to me, based on what I experienced, that the U.S. attorney in Delaware in our investigation was constantly hamstrung, limited and marginalized by DOJ officials as well as other U.S. attorneys.
0: But then you have Marjorie Taylor Greene in the hearing bringing up these photos of Hunter Biden, these pornographic images allegedly of Hunter Biden. Um, this this is evidence uh, of, of Ms. Ms. Hunter Biden Sherman, making sex take, excuse a, yeah. me this is my Unbecoming time making okay. pornography should we be displaying Sir, this mr chairman in the committee and showing them in open congressional hearings and you're just thinking like what is going on here like <mumbles> is this a serious investigation because there are serious people here the irs agents were pretty serious but then all the stuff around them was not
1: yeah, that's exactly the problem I have with this investigation, which is like you have these IRS folks who would, however you judge their testimony or sort of try to contextualize it the best you can, is one thing. Everything around it, including Marjorie Taylor Greene, is a circus. And, you know, these are not serious people. I don't trust them, candidly. I don't think they've earned the public's trust. And Greene's little stunt was just the grossest in a long line of very underhanded actions on the part of these people in Congress.
0: The IRS whistleblowers told Congress the charges Hunter Biden agreed to plead guilty to didn't go far enough. But Ankush says it's actually not that unusual for investigators to recommend more charges than prosecutors are willing to bring.
1: It's extremely common. It is extremely common. Um, it happens all the time. FBI agents or IRS agents, whoever, have views about um, what should be charged. They usually aren't lawyers. Right. So they aren't familiar with the underlying statutes and the way that the prosecutors are. They aren't keeping up with developments in the case law. They are not read up on Justice Department policy. They're not familiar with how comparable cases are treated by um, prosecutors and what goes into all of their decision making there. So uh, it's very common, This is not to say, again, that we should totally discount what they're saying. But that that headline point that you should be You know, be wary just of the notion that simply because there's a disagreement, something went wrong here. By itself, the fact of a disagreement does not tell you anything inappropriate happened.
0: You also brought up the fact that a little later in July, this former business partner of Hunter Biden's testified, Devin Archer, and he gave this testimony that over about a decade, Hunter Biden would do things like put his father on the phone while he was in the company of people he was consulting with. And sort of the allegation was he was creating this cloud (laughs) around himself of like, I'm connected. I'm a connected guy. What did you make of that?
1: I regard that conduct as unseemly, highly unseemly, actually, but not necessarily criminal. So that's the answer to the question there. But with respect to kind of what happened immediately after he testified, Republicans are going out saying, okay, we've got all the evidence again. It's a big crime family, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, you had a, a Democrat who was in the hearing come out and say, oh, well, all Devin Archer said was that, you know, Hunter Biden was selling, quote, the illusion of access, unquote. And Joe Biden actually didn't do anything, wasn't asked to do anything, had no involvement in the business. Hunter Biden was just selling the illusion of access. And there are a couple of, problems, I think, with that phrase, or at least that sort of rankled me. So first of all, um, it turned out that that phrase was not used by Archer initially, it was used by one of the Democrats on Congress, the same person, it was Dan Goldman from New York, who asked him, uh, basically, like, okay, so you kind of were just selling the illusion of access, right? And Devin Archer kind of says, yes, but then he says, well, it's a little bit more than that. You know this wasn't totally uh immaterial to the way we were doing our business. It was relevant, that sort of thing, and it was a bit it was a bit mushy. The second problem and this was apparent immediately once I heard the phrase um it's actually usually not okay to sell the illusion of anything hmm. in America, right? It's fraud. we call it fraud. It's exactly right,
0: yeah. I mean it's interesting to me because you look at this guy, Devin Archer, and I mean he has been convicted. Of fraud. <laughs> and so it also creates this other like kind of loop in your mind where you're like, oh, the person that Hunter Biden was in business with has actually been convicted of two felonies in connection with the conspiracy to defraud a Native American tribe. And you're just like, oh, so he's connected to him. So maybe he's not a reliable narrator. But at the same time, it means he's it means the president's son is kind of getting in bed with this person who is not really maybe doing the cleanest business. It's just it's messy.
1: I agree. I agree. And Archer is uh, you're you're exactly right. He himself is not a completely reliable narrator in this in this context. Um, I just come back to like we hear these folks in Congress talking about the facts here and the investigation here. And it's just like you're constantly like hearing things. Things are like you know reading the coverage and you're just struggling to figure out who you can really trust.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I guess my question looking at all that's happened over the summer when it comes to hunter biden is is what's happening now this special counsel appointment is it the result of republican pressure in congress or is it more because of bad lawyering of some kind like the lawyers who are prosecuting hunter biden just not doing their job or even hunter biden's lawyers not doing their job like it just seems like these things are all happening at the same time it's a little hard for me to look at like cause and effect
1: it's, it's hard for me, too, quite honestly, because I think uh, the scenarios you just sketched out are plausible, equally plausible. You know, I think that the case has, so far as I can tell, been, I'll just say, awkwardly lawyered on the part of prosecutors. I, I just I candidly, I, I, it, it surprised me to see prosecutors representing the Justice Department struggle to answer questions from a judge in a plea in a high profile plea hearing for them to not be able to come to terms with lawyers for the defendant on what terms an agreement that apparently they proposed actually mean. And then you know, I didn't think it would actually be that hard for them to put the agreement back on track once the judge sort of sent them off, because the the key thing to do would have been to revise the immunity provision and to put it in the document that she actually has authority to review. But evidently, according to the New York Times and CNN, um, lawyers for uh, Hunter Biden and and Weiss's team couldn't come to terms last week on what the immunity provision meant, and I, I just I, I I'm somewhat baffled.
0: Such a big open question.
1: Exactly, and then you know, now the, the thing is kind of blown up without really any kind of explanation from Weiss's team. And maybe we'll get one kind of as the proceedings kind of continue to unfold, but it just seems to me that there's been a really a, a lack of, I guess, focus or a clear purpose on the part of Weiss's team. And I don't know what, what explains that. It could either be la- bad lawyering, or it could be, um, you know, the effect of outside
0: influences. We'll be right back after a break. Ankush Cardori says part of the reason David Weiss asked to be appointed a special counsel in the first place is that now that his plea deal with Hunter Biden's blown up, he may want to go to trial. And to do that, he'll need to be able to file outside of his home state of Delaware. That means there could be Hunter Biden prosecutions coming to Washington, D.C. or California. Being special counsel also means that Weiss is going to have to write a final report about everything he's found. It's hard to know how all this is going to play out. But Ankush has been struck by how strange Weiss's process has been here. I asked him to compare David Weiss's actions to those of, say, Jack Smith, the special counsel who is prosecuting Donald Trump.
1: Obviously, we can't prejudge the outcome of these investigations and prosecutions. Let's just stipulate that. We don't know how they will end. However, what I have seen recently on the part of Weiss is someone who is not working efficiently or clearly uh, or sticking to his decisions, right, strategic and tactical decisions. Jack Smith is doing the opposite of that. Whatever one might make of that, right, we have a very clear sense of what he's doing, at least insofar as it's public, Public, right, what his intentions are. And so you do see, you know, very different styles on the part of these two men.
0: It's interesting. Weiss was pro- appointed by Trump, right?
1: Yes, he was.
0: And Republicans Republicans have wanted a special counsel here for a while. So are they supporting David Weiss now in this new role?
1: They are not supporting David Weiss, even though they did not only want a special counsel, but I think at one point last year wanted him to be appointed special counsel, uh, which they've now gotten. They would say, um, well, we don't trust him anymore. Or they are saying, actually, that we don't trust him anymore because he was ready to give Hunter Biden the sweetheart deal or whatever. I think it has a little... Less necessarily to do with one's view of the merits of the deal, then I think their overriding concern as a political matter is keeping this in- investigation going, this prosecution going and this sort of scandal going, if you will, in the public eye as long as possible, ideally through next November.
0: But it's funny, you think you think that this is doing exactly that, like now Hunter Biden's going to be kind of like simmering, <laughs> maybe not at a full boil, but simmering for a while now.
1: Yeah, well, look, I mean, we're, yeah, we're in the middle of August right now. Weiss's team has said they intend to charge Hunter Biden on the tax offenses and potentially more tax offenses in another jurisdiction, even if that happened like tomorrow, which it won't, the case would be in the news and the proceeding would be unfolding throughout next year, I would expect. So on the track that it is now, now appears to be on, um, it's not something that's going to be resolved anytime soon.
0: And what you're saying, I think, is that now we're going to be looking at these kind of parallel prosecutions into 2024, where you're going to have Hunter Biden and potentially along with Donald Trump and all these charges against him. And so, wow, that's going to be a lot.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a lot. I mean, I think that we in the media like have a really important obligation, I think, to help the public sort of contextualize these things and understand the differences. You know, it's like Hunter Biden's been effectively accused of something like larceny and, and Trump, who most recently was indicted by the federal government for trying to steal the last election, is like an accused serial killer. Like we have to like, to, to like these are very different worlds of alleged criminality.
0: Yeah. I know you're a lawyer, but I am curious what you make of the politics of this for President Biden moving forward. He's not going to be able to ignore the Hunter Biden stuff for much longer, is he? I mean, like, I know that his usual response is, I love my son, I'm proud of my son, and, like, that's it. But I wonder how long you think the president can get away with that when now there's a special counsel investigating him.
1: Well, I have not been very good at predicting how Joe Biden will will or will not speak hmm. uh, 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 surrounding these investigations back when, you know, the federal government um, first charged Trump in connection with the documents at Mar-a-Lago I kind of thought like, okay, Joe Biden is going to have to say something about this, right? Because he's now, his administration, his justice department is prosecuting his chief political rival, and it would not be good for there to be sort of a vacuum here, because what fills vacuums in our current day and age, to some extent, is conspiracy theories, right? And um, I was wrong. (laughs) They decided they're not going to speak publicly about it, at least for now. I don't see how he can get around it on the debate stage if it comes to that. But you know, they aren't going to speak about it. Um, I'm just going to say it's all being handled by the Justice Department. Merrick Garland's in charge. You know We trust him. He's a uh, you know, down the line kind of guy. And my expectation will be that they will continue to do that, um, even though I actually think, not that they'll take my advice, that all of this gives Biden a really good opportunity to talk to the public directly about what it means for there to be a rule of law in this country. And what it means for our Justice Department to investigate and hold people accountable across uh, the political, socioeconomic spectrum or the like.
0: Do you expect more surprises here? I would not
1: be surprised, I guess, if there are more surprises here just because of how oddly this has unfolded. And I got to say, I place a fair amount of the blame at this point on David Weiss and his prosecutors. Because I don't really know where their head is at. You know, my expectations have been dashed already uh, more than once in the last couple of months.
0: Ankush, I'm super grateful for your time. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Ankush Cardori is an attorney and a former federal prosecutor for the U.S. Department of Justice. And that's the show. What Next is produced by Paige Osborne, Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Madeline Ducharme, and Anna Phillips. We are led by Alicia Montgomery with a little boost from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. You can go track me down on Twitter. I'm at Mary's desk. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you back here tomorrow.